Let's pray. Lord God, um, I simply pray that we would be led by your Spirit this morning. Uh, I pray that the words that I say would, would say something of what you want to say and would connect, um, just that we would learn to live your ways. Amen. Okay, so um, I don't quite know where to start, but the, the passage in the Old Testament, Deuteronomy 6, was um, is really strangely. So Peter said to me, "Would would I like to to take the, to preach at this service this morning?" And I said, "Yeah, I'd really like to." And he then sent me the passages, and I opened them up. And Deuteronomy six, right? There's no reason why anyone else would know this, but when I first came to St James, something like 15 years ago, um, Peter rung me up on my mobile and said, look, when you come, this is the passage for that day. I'd be really grateful if you could preach from it, Deuteronomy 6. How strange, eh? And, uh, um, but when he rang me up, I remember where I was. So it's 15, I haven't got, I've got an atrocious memory, in fact, no doubt. Um, 15 years ago, I can still picture where I was when he rung, because I was away at my parents' house, and uh, I was in the garden, it was a sunny day, um, probably July, August time, because I think I started in September. And um, I know exactly where I was. And I think that we all have moments in our stories, our individual stories and our country's story, where we know exactly where we were. You know, maybe when you got married, maybe when your first child was born, maybe. You, you do remember where you were when you got married, right? Um, you know, or there's maybe sad things as well. There could be significant things. Um, I think in a few hundred years' time, that people will know that there was this time when we had this thing called Brexit. I, I've got a feeling that it's going to be in the history. You know, there are moments that we absolutely remember and are logged in our stories. Okay. So I was looking at Deuteronomy six this week, and you notice how that passage ends: that you must not test the Lord your God as you did when you complained at Massa. It's like. It's, it's almost like a throwaway comment in the whole passage of Deuteronomy 6. And yet, equally, it's not. It's like, oh, I wonder what happened at Massa. Seems like all the Israelites know what happened at Massa. You know, this is a passage about tell your children. And it says, you know, don't do what you did at Massa. Uh, it was a totally understood thing for the Israelites that something happened at Massa. And it'd be a really good idea if you don't do that. So I'm going to set the scene for you um, as to how it became a bit of a, a thing for the Israelites not to do what you did at Massa. So you might have heard me tell this story, my, my swift um, story of, um, of how the Israelites get to the point where they're at Massa. So here we go. Um, Israelites are back in Egypt and whilst they're in Egypt they are prisoners, they're slaves and they are having to work for the Egyptians. Uh, they don't like it, but they have no choice. They are oppressed, and they are being forced to build bricks after bricks after bricks. And that is so that the Egyptians can build their incredibly powerful empire. That is what it is all about. The Israelites are oppressed. They hate it. They want, they want out. They don't get to think. They don't get to be creative. They don't get to live life how they wanted to. And so they cry out to God. They say, God, this is awful. Will you help us? Will you save us? Will you liberate us? Will you set us free, please? And God says, I hear your cry. I will set you free. 
And so Moses is birthed into the story. And Moses grows up uh, in, the, in the Egyptian way, but he is an Israelite. And when it comes down to it, there's a much longer story, I'm going to skip all of that, uh, he becomes the leader of the people of Israel. And God does absolutely amazing things. Now this is all within the lifetime of the people who end up at Massa. Kind of important. So they've all, they all see what happens and God does proper miraculous stuff that doesn't make sense to anyone. And clearly Israel's God is incredibly powerful and mighty and can do anything. So much so that finally the Egyptians say, Israelites, get out of Egypt. This is killing us, quite literally. And they set them free. God sets them free. But the Egyptians would want nothing more than to keep the Israelites, but they just can't do it because God is too powerful. And so they are, they are set free from Egypt. And on their way, uh, they're heading towards the Promised Land. They've got a little bit of a, a time coming in the desert. But before that, they get to the Red Sea. And Moses is there and uh, he lifts up his staff. And as he lifts up his staff, the waters separate a wind blows and the waters separate and the Israelites are able to cross the sea on dry land. Absolutely incredible, miraculous. They all experienced the miracle as they walked across. And then they come into the desert and they're on their way to the promised land. Unbelievable. Wow. Incredible. Then they get thirsty. They don't get to drink and they get a dry throat and it's almost certainly a lot worse than just having a dry throat and you need to get water from the tap but they can't see any water around and they get panicky and they say Moses, what is going on? We haven't got any water we're going to die in the desert not only are we going to die but our children are going to die and our livestock are going to die this is rubbish we don't want this, this isn't good. That's what they say at Massa. They are the people of, the place is called Massa and Meribah. It's the place of testing and rebellion. They say to Moses, they don't even say to God, they've already cut God out of their story, they're now just going straight to Moses. They're not saying, Moses, you know the God that you follow, could he do? Nah. They're just saying, Moses, this is no good. We don't have any water. We are going to die in this place. And our whole story, our whole generation, our whole tribe is going to be forgotten in the desert. I think that we go through these same moments in our own stories. So let's consider for a moment how this may overlay into your story. I know that it overlays into my story. I don't know if it overlays into yours. But here we go. They start off with life in Egypt, okay? And I think we all have life, God willing. And we all have a story that we're involved in. We all do something with our lives. We may love it, we may hate it, we may wish it was different, but it is what we have. That is life. That is like life for the Israelites in Egypt. Then they go through this strange moment where they have to cross the Red Sea. And... Um, you know, why is that? Well, I love the thought that they have to journey through, they have to do the living miracle where, this, where the water parts and they go across. But the concept of the river and the sea is 
a really powerful symbolism of death. You know, when we have baptism, we place someone into the water, total submersion, under the water, we die to all of that, and then we rise to new life. There is something in that, tra- in that transition from one side of the river to the other side of the river that the Israelites go through uh, a death experience. We experience death-like experiences in our own story. Easter's coming, Good Friday. I don't want to ruin the punchline for anyone. Well, it's not the punchline, but it's the Good Friday moment where Jesus dies. Easter Saturday, the next day, a seriously profound day in the church calendar where we experience silence and darkness and uncertainty. That's what the Israelites are feeling in that moment when they're at Massa. What is going on? Where is God? Maybe it's even worse for them because they've seen in their lives, with their own eyes, they've experienced the God who does the miraculous and yet, where is that God? God has gone silent. God has gone on mute. It's God stopped checking his emails. He's not returning voicemail. What is going on? It's gone utterly silent. I know, if I'm honest, that I find moments like that in my own life, where I say, what is that all about? Is, is God still here? Is God real? I really do question, is God real? Does God really exist? And if so, what does God do anyway? Because it's not making sense right now. Don't be too shocked, but there you go. I definitely ask those questions. Maybe you do too. If you're like me, then you're also like the Israelites. So maybe that will give you some heart to take heart from because this is the place that the Israelites are well and truly in when they are at Massa. Do you know, it doesn't get much better for them. Psalm 95, you know, the Psalms, are, the Israelites have their Psalms uh, so that they can remember their story. They love to pass on the story from generation to generation to generation. Psalm 95 talks about the Israelites at that time. Psalm 95 finishes by saying, You know, they tested, they were rebellious. They do not enter their father's rest. They shall never enter my rest, is the end of Psalm 95. Man, I read this passage and I thought, maybe it's not so interesting to do sermons anymore. It's not particularly joyful. Um, I believe that there should always be hope in uh, in a sermon and that there is definitely wisdom. But I was seeing that and I was thinking, what is this passage all about? At that point, by the way, I did put the kettle on and had a cup of tea and thought, I'm going to have to do some deep thinking about what's occurring here. We shall never enter their rest. Wouldn't we all like to enter eternal rest now and always? So I started to wonder what the problem is. The problem that I believe exists within the hearts of the Israelites is that they have become, these words, testing and rebellious. They have lost faith. They have started to doubt. They are out of control and they are unprepared to surrender. Big words. They want to take back control. They are scared and they are fearful of their future well-being. I thought about this and then I wrote it down. And then I thought, is it right to say? And I think it is. I do think this, okay? I think one of the greatest failings of the human heart is the ability to minimise the divine to put God in a box, to set parameters around what God can and cannot do, what can and cannot happen. 
which I think is what the Israelites are doing on this day. They become fearful, anxious, worrisome for their future. They look to take back control of their destiny. And in doing this, they only see what they can achieve and consequently they minimise their vision of what God can achieve as well. They cry out, Moses, why did you bring us out of Egypt that we're going to die of thirst in the wilderness? Do you know what happens? It is so simple for God. God commands Moses. He says, Moses, go over there in Massa, strike that rock with your staff. You know, the same staff that he holds up when they get to the Red Sea. Strike that rock with your staff and there before them flowed life-giving water from the rock. Do you know what? For God, there was no water shortage. God's economy does not suffer from a shortage of anything. So we are called to wholehearted commitment in God not because of some divine transaction where God will accept us if we see uh, will accept us if we see how high our levels of commitment are not because of that but because as we learn to let go and let God as we release control as we stop judging and testing and start to trust then we find peace and rest for eternity you see that is how life works I've got two short stories for you. The first is the story of the prodigal son. There are two sons in the story and uh, one of them um, gets his inheritance early and he sets off and he goes out to do what he thinks is the way in which to live life. The Bible calls it wild living. Uh, He definitely does some stuff that is corrupt and bad and illegal and not good for his soul. Um, I think he invests. I think he tries to make a way in life. I think one of the things, I think the story is multi-layered, so there are lots of meanings. But in this case, I think he is trying to find a way of taking control of his future and his destiny. He wants to take control. He asks for his inheritance because he knows best. And so he sets off to do that. The other son, he stays at home and he works really, really hard out in the fields He's not actually that dissimilar when we think about control. He's making sure that he does good, that he does right, that he keeps it clean, that he does what he's expected to do, that he secures the inheritance for the future. He's in his own way trying to keep control as well. And it all comes back together because the son comes back and the father, who is the God character in the story, says, do you know what? I'm going to hold a party because one of my sons wasn't here and now he's back again. And the other son's like, Huh? You don't do that for me. That's not fair. And God says, do you know what? You guys are both trying to take control. In my language, he's saying, will you just relax? You are not in control. You are not in control of the inheritance. It's not yours to say what's going to happen next. Just relax. I have got this. It will be okay. The second story is the teaching of Jesus for those who are weary and heavy burdened. It's in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. There are a bunch of people that Jesus Christ saw and he could see that they were weary and heavy burdened. And he said, Will you stop 
trying to take control of your future. It is killing you. It is so heavy. It is weighing you down. You can barely even walk. It's so heavy. Will you stop doing it? Let go. Pick up my yoke. It's all right. I've got this. I've got tomorrow. So, that may mean nothing to you. It means something to me. Uh, If you're in a place that does not make sense, a place where it appears that God is on mute, that God has gone silent, that God is not returning your calls, I would say to you, may you look to God, as we sung in that hymn earlier, may you look to God and trust that God is always with you, even and maybe especially when we feel like he is not. And that he is the God of the infinite, the God beyond all measure. You cannot put God in a box, even though we try pretty much daily. The God beyond all measure. The God of yesterday, the God of today, and the God of tomorrow. That you could find a way to trust him and his ways, for he will come good. Amen.